We're going to be in the book of Colossians this morning, and uh, today, this week is the first Sunday at Advent as we look forward to Christmas. And so uh, the next three Sundays, we'll be celebrating Advent, the glorious waiting of our Savior to come. And, and so during these four weeks leading up to Christmas, we're going to be in the book of Colossians and all in chapter one. And so I want to encourage you uh, this next month to read Colossians 1. Uh, to read it as many times as you can. Just to be in that, I mean, on top of your normal reading, that's fine. But to soak yourself, to chew on God's word in Colossians 1, because we're gonna spend our time there. And so you're gonna be better prepared as a listener coming in to receive God's word if you've been in God's word and in the passage that we're about to, to share. And if you're unaware, you know, we have the, the list of what's gonna be preached every week. And so I, again, I reiterate, the reason why we do that isn't, isn't just for scheduling, that, that is a help in that way, but it's, it's to help you as the church, the listeners, to be reading ahead and what's gonna be preached the, the upcoming week. And so you can be soaking yourself in God's word. So I wanna encourage you for the rest of this month to, to read through Colossians 1. Read it again, read it again, because uh, there is really no higher picture of Christ, no a more penetrating or greater picture of Christ than it is in the book of Colossians, especially chapter one. And so I wanna encourage you to read it, enjoy. And this morning we're gonna begin in Colossians one. So if you have your Bibles with, with you, uh, turn there, Colossians one. We're gonna cover verses one through eight this morning and, and I'm gonna read. So follow with me as I, as I read, Colossians one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and the faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Is it possible to hear the gospel but not get it? I read a story this week in my preparation um, of John and Charles Wesley. I want to share this. Uh, back in 1738 in London, there was a little group of young men. They're part of the Church of England, and they were very religious, very moral people, but they were aware of an inside emptiness. They were very religious, but they had become aware of this emptiness, and they recognized the religion was all externals at this time. It wasn't alive. It wasn't a living thing for them. And they met together in a little apartment of a man named William Bray just off of Aldersgate Street in London. And every night they met together to talk about religion and sometimes to pray for each other and discuss. And two of the people are now very famous, John and Charles Wesley, brothers. And, and, and through this, we can read of their journals as they describe their walking through uh, this, this emptiness, they called it. In May of 1738, one day Charles went to church and he took the Lord's Supper and then he came back and he said, he writes in his journal, receive the sacrament, but not Christ. In other words, 
He's saying, I'm going through the motions. I received the, the sacrament, the Lord's Supper, but I didn't receive Christ. I, I don't know him. I don't understand. I'm, I'm not connected with him. And one of the men who was coming to this meeting was a man named William Holland. William Holland one day brought with him a book that somebody had given to him, and it was the, a, a commentary in the book of Galatians written by Martin Luther. And one night, it was May 17, 1738, he asked Charles Wesley to read part of the preface, the introduction to him. And he writes, when Mr. Charles Wesley got to, the, to these words of Luther, and this is what Luther writes, what, we have nothing to do? No, nothing but accept him, who God has made for us our wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And he says, at those words, I broke through and suddenly power came on me and I knew he was who he was. And William had become a Christian. It's interesting, Wesley was reading this thing out loud and he noticed William Holland and he noticed that he was changed. The next day in his journal, he wrote, Mr. Holland seemed to have found faith tonight, but I don't get it. He got it, I didn't get it. And that, by the way, I think helps us, at least it helps me coming to church every week because some understand some receive, and some others don't. Salvation has always been the work of God. Finally, a, a few days later from this, May 21st, it was on a Sunday in his service, and what does Charles Wesley say? He finally says, I found it. He says, I saw by faith, I stood. Though of myself, I'm always sinking in sin. He says, so I went to bed, sensing my weakness, but finally confident in Christ. This is Charles Wesley. And only one year later, he wrote a very famous hymn. Most of you will probably sing in the next month. The third verse of that hymn says, Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. How could, the question, how could these guys missed it? And how could have Will and Holland get it on that same night? And, and Charles Wesley comes home and writes, I, I don't get it. What are we talking about? And what we're talking about here, what he's talking about then was the gospel. Paul talks about the gospel in such an amazing way in Colossians 1. And the gospel is the core of Christianity. And I suspect there are some of you here this morning that haven't gotten it yet. You haven't understood. You've heard the gospel, but it hasn't gotten you. It's one thing to have the gospel presented to you. It's another thing to have the gospel come into you. So how, how do you know if the gospel has come into you? Well, there are four things that I see in this passage that will answer those questions. First, the gospel is hope. Second, the gospel is growth. Third, the gospel is free and full. And fourth, the gospel is Jesus Christ. Before we dive in, I'm gonna pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that we can begin Advent, 
a season of, of longing and looking for you. And we can begin in Colossians 1, God. What a rich chapter that you've graciously given us that we can understand and read and, and study and pray, God, that you would bring understanding to us. I pray for those seated here this morning that and maybe heard the gospel in their life. Maybe you can even relay it, but it hasn't gotten them. It hasn't changed them. And I pray that through the preaching of your word this morning that you would change them. That they would receive it and believe it and trust in it and trust in you alone. And for us, God, who are believers and who have had maybe a, a hard week, God, I pray that we would receive your word preached, that we would remember again afresh anew that this glorious gospel that not only saves us, but sends us forward and supplies for us and gives us the strength to live. May you be glorified in this time now, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. First, the gospel is hope. This is the, one of the greatest needs in our world today, hope. This is what we hear most in the need spoken from our friends and family, hope. And the gospel brings hope to the world. Paul writes, we always thank God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. Hope. Hope is important to the life of a human Humans go to great lengths to have hope beyond this life. It, it sounds crazy, kind of like a, something out of a, a sci-fi novel, but there are underground storage facilities near Los Angeles and Arizona where people are stored, cryogenically frozen. Do you guys know about this? People spend tens of thousands of dollars in the remaining years of their life so that they can have hope. To be frozen in, in these facilities that someday whatever dying ailment they had would be fixed in the future generations and they would bring them back and, and then heal them and, and they could live, continue to live longer. And they're wishing that whatever they died from can be cured in them. And they've placed their hope in something that will disappoint. We all even have a desire of hope in that regard, to, to live longer. You, you want something beyond this life. You, you believe you, you, you should have it. We're hoping for something more. But we want to, in some way, cheat death. So much money is spent year after year on procedures and medicine to prolong life. So people, as humans, we're, we're looking for ways to have hope. And, and the scripture here in, in, in Colossians says when you receive the gospel, when the gospel has come into you, you now have real hope. A hope that this world cannot understand, a, a hope that this world cannot provide. You can bear this world and all of its difficulties because you have a hope that outlasts the troubles that you have here on earth. And, and William Holland had it May 17th and May 21st, and Charles Wesley didn't. What's the difference? William had hope, and in effect, he had joy, and, and Charles didn't. They both had religion, but only one knew that the best was yet to come. 
You know, it's an amazing passage here. And my first point is kind of short, racing to the next one. But he, he says this. He says, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. Uh, the word of truth means that there's information in this. There's, there's content in the gospel. The gospel is a set of things that you have to believe. It's a set of coherent propositions. To believe it, if it's a word of truth, means that you have to reject any propositions that, that are set against it. It's not a vague thing. No, it's, it's content. It's truth. And in this, we find hope. So that's the first point. Second, the gospel is growth. Paul says that the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing. You see it there in verse 6. The gospel brings growth to our lives and the lives that surround us. And when, when Paul talks about it bearing fruit and increasing, he talks about an, an internal change. I believe he's talking about the, the fruit of the Spirit that we see in Galatians 5. And what is the fruit? It's love, joy, peace, patience, self-control. And so I ask, look at your life right now. If there's any trouble, any discomfort this morning, if you are short of absolute happiness, if you have anger, what is that? Well, it's a lack of fruit of love. You're angry at someone and you lack the fruit of love. If you're anxious, restless, this is a lack of the fruit of peace. All of our problems here on earth come from a lack of this kind of character that Paul teaches us in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. And where does the fruit come from? The fruit comes from the gospel. The gospel is the source of it all. The gospel comes in and makes this change in our lives. The gospel comes and brings hope. And the gospel comes and brings growth. And now I realize that there maybe are some in our group here this morning that are just going through the motions of Christianity. And you need this, friends. You need to listen to this. I don't know if you've followed the news lately, but there is an onslaught in the news revealing what we've already known for some time in Hollywood. They could only hide for so long. We've known this, that many of the men and women that make up TV and the movie industry are really what they portray in the movies. They really are that, or they really are what they promote, or what they write about, or what they talk about. That's really them. Now, we have two responses as Christians. You can get angry that those people are living this way, they're living out what they know, or you can be sad that the people are living and losing. What do I mean? Well, we really shouldn't be shocked. Friends, we shouldn't be shocked that the world acts like the world. Is that shocking to you? They, they act out what they know. But we should be sad to see what they're missing in the pursuit of it all. The men and women who, who live as though this world is all that there is. A group of people yearning to, to somehow, some way, cover up the emptiness they know they have inside. The, the soullessness that dominates their life. They have a nagging feeling of, of soullessness. And so they try to fill it up, their souls, with things that truly won't fill them. And, and really what they, they believe is they believe that their outside is greater than their inside. 
That's soullessness. In other words, I look really pulled together on the outside, but on the inside, I know I have nothing. I'm a mess. I don't know what I'm living for and most certainly don't have anything to die for. And they believe that their outside is greater than their inside. But, but Paul, in, in all of his writings, and all of his ministry, gives a picture of the exact opposite. Not emptiness, but fullness. Not soullessness, but soulfulness. How did Paul become the Christian that he was? Where did he get the courage to go into the town after town and boldly proclaim the gospel? knowing that they're probably going to stone him? Where did he get the love to minister to people that hated him? Why was he so influential on his time on earth? I mean, he was one of the most influential people in human history. And where did that come from? Was Paul just an extraordinary guy? Just a flash in the pan gonna come and go? You know, if you jump down to the end of Colossians 1, at the end of the chapter, you can see the answers to these questions. Verse 29, he says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. For, for this I toil. For what? Well, pointing back to verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. He, he worked to bring people to maturity in Christ. And how did he work? Well, he says in verse 20, he works with God's energy because God powerfully worked in Paul. It was all Christ. He could minister because God was working within him. And that's the fruit of the gospel. That's the fruit of the spirit, friends. And Paul is the exact opposite of this world. A person with the nagging feeling of soullessness is somebody who says that their outsides are, are greater than their insides. But Paul says to us that his insides are much greater than his outsides. I believe Paul was not a pleasant person to look at. He wasn't glamorous by any stretch to look at. He would not have been hired as a model. He maybe didn't acquire high-level friends, high-level contacts. He may not have been the most liked, the most loved person, but he didn't care about those things because he knew who he was in Christ. He knew who he was living for. That's soulfulness. That's a full life. And Paul lived for the glory of God. He lived to minister to others. And you see it in these short verses that we've read with his impact on, on Timothy, who is ministering alongside Paul, and Epaphras, who was trained and, and left to, to minister by Paul. Paul knows that his insides are greater than his outsides. I'm involved in these people's lives, and they're, they're changing left and right, and it's because of the power of God who, who mightily works within me. That's what motivated, that's what drove Paul. That's why he was able to, to minister. And do you, you recognize in your own life? Do you recognize this in the ministry that God has given you in your life? You know, when you sit down and you talk with someone and they begin to pour out their heart and their lives and, their, and the struggles they're going through. And as you minister one another, this can be, this can be draining. Now you have choices in this. You can, you can disengage. You can just, mm-hmm, yeah, I hear you, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and move on because you know what it means 
It means you, you pull, you take some of the burden off them, you look to minister to them. It'll zap you. Then the other decision you have is you can engage with them. You can help them. You listen to them. You search the scriptures with them. You apply the word of God to their lives. You pray for them. You spend time with them. And, and, and usually what happens, no matter what, is you're drained in some way. You, you give to them. Now, it doesn't always happen in this draining way, but my point is that if you do this enough, if you give yourself away to others in ministry, sooner or later, you'll be drained in some way. And where do you get filled up? Where do you have the power and strength to do it again? It's the gospel, my friends. It's God who mightily works in and through us. The fruit that we need to live and to minister in this world is only found in the gospel. That is, that is why Paul says that it's in Christ who powerfully works within me. The gospel bears fruit. It gives you joy. It gives you peace. It gives you soulfulness. And listen, Christian friends here this morning, let me apply this to you. You need this. Whether you know it or not, you need to hear it. Look again at verse 6. It says the gospel. It's talking about the gospel which has come to you as indeed the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing. And now the average Christian listening to, to this says that the gospel is the entry point into the kingdom. It's the door that we go through to have eternal life with God. And then you somehow move on to obedience. And you move on to the principles of scripture. But the gospel is just an entry. We go through the gospel and, we're, and then we, now we just need to obey. And I mentioned this before, but the introduction of the commentary of Galatians, Martin Luther writes about the gospel and he writes about preaching. He says, here I must, here I must take counsel of the gospel. I must hearken to the gospel, which teaches me not what I ought to do, for that is the proper office of the law, but what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has done for me, to wit that he suffered and died to deliver me from sin and death. The gospel wills me to receive this and to believe it, and this is the truth of the gospel. It is also the principal article of all Christian doctrine, wherein the knowledge of all godliness consists. And most necessary it is, therefore, that we should know this article well, the gospel well, and teach it unto others, and beat it into their heads continually. I love Martin Luther. Just come again to the gospel. And this is the burden of my ministry, friends. This is why I will not grow tired of preaching the gospel. I have nothing left. I have nothing else. I have no pony show later to show you. I, I don't have anything. I'm giving my full hand. This is the burden of my ministry, to preach the gospel and to beat it into your heads continually. And you won't understand. I won't understand until you beat it into my head. We won't understand the gospel in its fullness until we, we preach it and we rehearse it over and again. This is how we should live. This is how we should speak. And Paul is seeing here that the, the fruit of the Spirit comes from the gospel. It's not that the gospel just gets you into heaven and, and then you move on to obedience and hard work to advance your life. No, the gospel saves and produces fruit within you. The gospel is what brings you in 
and the gospel is what sends you forward. Now listen, this is the key here. The fruit in our lives comes from the gospel. And what does that mean? Well, let me ask you, are you anxious today? Have you experienced anxiousness at all this week? It's a lack of peace. If you're anxious in any way, it's because you're not believing in some way by not applying the gospel. Where does peace come from? It comes from God and nothing else in this world. And God accomplishes what is humanly impossible. And because of it, we get peace that supersedes all of our understanding here on earth. Are you angry? Have you been angry at all this week? You're not showing love. You're not applying the gospel. What did Christ show us on the cross? He showed us love. He died for us to redeem us. Filthy sinners, utterly unable to save ourselves. He showed us love to the most unlovable people. And because of the gospel, we can show love to others. Are you fearful? You're not believing that God has conquered at all. Are you frustrated? You're wanting to control things. And it's not working well because you need to submit to God's sovereignty. You see, what's wrong with us is a lack of fruit. And the only way to have fruit is to run to the gospel. Your only hope is found in the gospel. And listen, this is a, a test if the gospel has really come down and seek and sunk deep within your bones. Because if you come in week and week and you think, boy, I'm tired of hearing this gospel talk, then you might not be saved. And I'm willing this morning to say something, and I recognize that you may never come back to this church. And I'm willing to risk it anyways. You know, there are churches that are filled in this area with services after services with people that have no mark that they are genuinely gospel-believing people other than they occasionally mention the gospel and they attend services between one and four times a month. No seriousness about God or, or the church family, no, no change in their life, no desire to learn more, to apply the gospel to their lives. And they come to church and they check it off their weekly or their monthly list, and they call themselves a Christian. And I have to tell you, if there's no desire to talk about the gospel, to rejoice in the gospel, to sing about the gospel, to make the gospel known, then you shouldn't consider yourself a Christian. You should consider yourself lost. Now, I understand that you might hear that and think that it sounds mean-spirited and hurtful, but how cruel would it be for me as a pastor, to let you sit in your unbelief and cheer you on on your path to hell. And I recognize, I understand, it's probably not good for church growth. But I believe the elders will support me. You can leave this morning, you can find yourself another church nearby that will tell you how awesome you are. But I'm compelled through the scriptures to warn you. You are on a path to destruction. If you come week after week and the gospel makes no penetration to your heart, to your soul, and you walk out the same soullessness that you came in with, then you have to ask yourself, am I believing the gospel? 
Do I believe what Christ has done for me? And I know there are a number of kids here this morning that have been faithfully riding in the car with mom and dad to church because you have to. I was there too, kids. And for years you come. And you need to understand, kids, that mom and dad's faith isn't transferred just to yours. All that mom and dad can do is to teach you the truth, but they cannot believe for you. So I ask kids, do you believe? Do you believe in the gospel? I'm going to give a job to mom and dad today. They're going to ask you. Do you hear me, moms and dads? You're going to ask your kids today, do you believe the gospel? And if they answer back, no, I don't believe, your job is to not freak out. Your job is to preach with love and grace. But more importantly, your job is to live it out. It's to show your kids the gospel. And maybe you need to take a hard look, you and your spouse, and say, are we living this way? Do we say one thing and present something else? Because here's the way you know you've understood the gospel. You become aware that the gospel is not only the entry into heaven with God, but it's the answer to all of your problems. And so when you struggle in life, and you're going to struggle, you ask the question, how does the gospel apply to this? You know, your kid's... They observe this. When, when you lose your job at work, what's the response? Is it just completely freaking out and never praying, never talking about the gospel in this aspect? Just worry, just work. Your kids see this. And they think, I guess the gospel's just enough to get me to heaven, but nothing else more. Or do you spend your time in the word? And pointing yourself because your heart needs it and your kids to Christ. That my hope is found in him. When a family member during the holidays offends you, and it will happen probably for some of you, what do you do? Do you just get angry and be under your breath with your kids around mumbling back and forth? I can't believe they did it again. Or do you run to the gospel? looking at your own heart. What is, what is God doing in me and what is God doing in them and how do I respond the right way? And all of our problems in life come from a failure to, to somehow apply the gospel and to understand it for our lives. And friends, if this is brand new to you, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that we haven't preached this more. But we want to help. We want to encourage you in this. And I want you to find me after the service. I'll be at the door along with Pastor Ryan and the other elders. We'll be at the doors to, to greet you as you leave because we want to help. We want to be here to serve you. And one book outside of the Bible that has been a, a rich resource to help me in this is called the Gospel Primer. Or Primer. I, I went over next door to grab how many copies I had. I have three. First three to come see me and you want it, I'll give it to you, but you have to read it. And it's been a blessing to me in my walk. I've, I've read it more times than I can count. But the point of this book and the point of, of what I'm trying to convey here is to point us back into what the scriptures say of the gospel and how it applies to our life. 
And we want to help. We want to encourage you in that. I told you my second point was long, so moving to my third. The gospel is free and the gospel is full. If you look again at verse six, you see that the cinnamon for the gospel is the grace of God. The free grace of God. It says all over the world this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it, the gospel has been doing among you since the day you heard it. The gospel and understood the grace and all its truth. God's free grace is, a, is a, another word for the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel of God is God's grace. Look again at verse five. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. There's something laid up for us in heaven. Do you know what stored means? It means it's saved, it's secure for us. And what is it? It's, it's heaven, it's glory, it's God, it's a crown, it's all those things. It's secured for us in heaven. And the gospel is not a message that when we finish the race, there will be a prize will be given, but you have to finish the race first. No, the, the prize is already there. Heaven is like money already in the bank. It's already yours. It's already free and it's already full. And one of the reasons that you don't have fruit in your life maybe is that you don't understand the gospel and all of its truth. Look again at verse six where the gospel is going. How, how big is the gospel? How powerful is the gospel? It's going to all the world. So we need to understand that the gospel is free and full and it moves throughout the world. It's a deep well that is infinitely rich and infinitely full and, and deep and there's no bottom to it. Understanding that the gospel is deep, it is free and available, is the solution to all of the issues and problems that we have in our life. You know, it doesn't say that the, the fruit will start to grow when you understand all of the gospel because if that was the case, you would never, you'd never see fruit. The gospel is so much deeper and wider and fuller than we could ever imagine. It's the gospel of grace, pure and free. You're more loved and accepted than you can ever imagine. Let me illustrate this for you. Maybe this fits where you're at. College basketball has begun. Do I have any college basketball fans here? All four of us. Sweet, we can come to my house and watch. I love college basketball because for me, I feel it's the most level playing field. Of all the college sports, what do I mean by that? Well, you play 25 to 30 games in the regular season, and the goal is to make it to the big dance. It's not an actual dance. It's a tournament, but we call it the big dance, okay? And 66 teams, used to be 64, but now 66, uh, are played, selected to play in the tournament in March. And the majority of these teams are, are there because of a selection. They're bigger schools. But then in this tournament, there's 10 to 15, varying, maybe as much as 20, I'm not sure. There are small schools from small conferences. And, and by winning their conference tournament, they're an automatic bid to the big tournament. So they come in ranked, you know, 65th or 66th or even lower in the country. And, and they're, they're facing teams that are much bigger, much more expensive programs. And, and these schools are called, am I no? Underdogs, or in basketball, Cinderella schools, right? Y'all love Cinderella, right? 
girls, now you can be interested in basketball. Cinderella schools, coming in to play the big schools. They're not picked to, to win the whole thing. In fact, in the tournament, a 16 seed has never beat a one seed in all the years. Hasn't happened. So they're not favored. It's always the number one seed before the tournament that's favored. And, and this school deserves that, that, that seeding because they have beaten a number of good teams during the season. And, and they've won their, 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 their uh, conference which has a number of good teams that will be in the tournament. So they've, they've deserved this ranking, and they're expected to win it all. But what if this Cinderella school, who had no expectation on them, gets to the championship game against the number one seed? How will the small school approach the game? You know, they've had an incredible year. Their coach has done fantastic, better than anyone imagined. He's, he's most likely going to be the coach of the year. They've outperformed all of the expectations that were placed on them. And their school is so proud of them, just beaming with joy that they made it this far. You know, game after game of the tournament, they're just shocked that they're farther. And now they're in the big game. They're loved and they're honored and they've secured for themselves an important place and in history, all before they play the big game. They're, they're adored by their school. They're talked about in all of the, all the, the sports channels. You know, the picture of the team is already going up on the wall in, in their school, and they haven't even played the championship game. So no matter for them, and no matter what happens in the championship game, they've already got it sealed of who they are. But the number one team is drastically different, right? If, you, if you're a commentator on this, you're saying all the pressure is on the number one team. They have not finished what they started. Everyone be has believed that this is the team that should win. They have all the All-Americans. They have the historic coach who's won a number of national titles. And listen, these two teams will approach this game drastically different. Small school will come and play for the joy of it all because they know what awaits them. The higher rate team will come into this game tight and worried and scared to disappoint. And as a result, they'll probably play poorly. But they're very talented, and so they'll probably win. But the experience of the game is vastly different between these two schools. How does this translate to life? How do you approach your life? Are you the small school who knows what's secure for them? Or are you the big school? You believe that you have to go out and achieve. You have to do what's expected. I have to perform I have to get this done. I have to earn this. And you believe there's no grace. I have to go get it. And if I don't, I will lose everything. I will be mocked. I'll be remembered forever as the team that couldn't get it done. See, the small school mindset is so much different. They, 
They know that their value is not based on how they perform. It's already secure. It's all just pure grace now. You see, a Christian is somebody who, when they get a job interview or who, when they go on a date or when they look to expand their business and their heart tells them their value has already been set by God. They're already loved by God. They, they don't need to work to attain that. God already loves them. He's already secured something for them. And it's stored in heaven. You know, there's, I know there's some this morning that are in this battle. You've talked to me and you've shared even your heart. You're in this battle and you're leaning more towards the big school thinking I have to compete, I have to earn, I understand, but if I don't do this, if I don't act this way, if I don't somehow perform, then maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm not saved. Friends, that's not the gospel. Christ did it all. And it's because of grace that we can experience security and that we can have fruit in our lives. And if you're sitting and you're scared, you're always scared. If you're anxious, you're always anxious. If you're always upset with yourself, do you understand what's going on? There's a lack of fruit. And why is there a lack of fruit? Because you're not believing God's grace and all of its truth. You have forgotten that it's his salvation, full and free. You have forgotten that you're saved by grace through faith alone. It's not your doing. It's the gift of God. It's all of him. Well, the last thing, the fourth thing, the gospel is Jesus Christ. Continue to read chapter one, and I hope you do this week. You read that Paul mentions a few times his proclamation of the gospel in verse 23 and verse 28. He's saying that he, he proclaims him. He proclaims him. What does that mean? Here's the reason that the gospel is hope, that the gospel is growth, that the gospel is full and free. It's because the gospel is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the gospel. The gospel is not about Jesus Christ. It is Jesus Christ. This is what William Holland got and what Charles Wesley didn't. You see, Charles Wesley read, what, we have nothing to do, says Luther. And Luther says, no, nothing, but except him who was made by God unto us to be our wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. And other religions say, here is a way. And Jesus says, no, I am the way. Other religions say, here's a truth, follow it. And Jesus says, I am the truth. Other religions say, here's, here's how to be a righteous person. And Jesus says, no, I am your righteousness. And if you understand the Bible and specifically Colossians and Galatians, you have to understand that, that it's Jesus plus nothing. For those that, that sit here and think that you have to have Jesus and my good works, you're wrong. If you think you, you need Jesus and your church attendance, you're wrong. If you think you have Jesus and more righteousness that you look for, you're wrong. It's Jesus plus nothing for salvation. 
It's Jesus. It's always only been Jesus. And when you become a Christian, he becomes your righteousness. He is your holiness. He is your wisdom. He is your strength and he's your peace and security and hope. It's only Jesus. That's the gospel. Because he came and lived the life that you should have lived and died the death that you should have died. It's all Jesus. Now, do you understand why the gospel solves all your problems? See, if you're angry today, what you're really saying is, I need Jesus, but I also need to be respected by someone else to be successful. There's always a but. I need Jesus, but. If you're anxious, if you're discouraged, you're saying, I I need Jesus, but I need something else. There's no but. It's only Jesus. And when you understand this, when you remind yourself of this, the fruit will begin to grow in your life. So there it is. Do you understand the gospel is hope? Do you understand it's the the bottomless pit of which all of your solutions are going to come from? Do you understand that it's the power, it's the way that you grow as a Christian? Do you understand it's the the ramifications of, of grace freely given because of Jesus Christ going before the Father? You know, in verse two, he says to the saints in Christ, Paul knows that Christians stand before God in Christ and because he knows that, he's filled with power. If you're you're not filled with power, you don't know that. This morning, we go to the Lord's table. And what the bread and the cup are is the visible gospel. And here's what I want to say to you. I want you to spend some time today, maybe even the quietness of the communion service and ask the Lord, Lord, show me the the but also's in my life, but also. God, I need you, but also this. And ask God to show you the other things that you've worked into the gospel, that you've added into the gospel. When Jesus should be it, when Jesus is the gospel, nothing else. And ask God to help you to understand God's grace and all of its truth. God, help me to understand your grace and more of its truth today. Help me, God, to apply the gospel to my life. And he promises. He promises to appear and and to do that in your life. So I want you to join with me as as the men come now and they come forward to serve the Lord's Supper this morning. I want you to, to spend time with God in that prayer. As the men come, I'm gonna pray and then we'll hand out the bread. God, I thank you that we can come to your table this morning knowing that you have done it all to accomplish salvation for your people. Thank you, God, that we can join together this morning with other believers And remember our Lord's sacrifice for us on the cross. Remembering that 
Jesus took our place and he took our punishment for us as wretched sinners and that he died and that he rose again and that he's coming back soon. Thank you for being the gospel for us, Jesus. Amen.